This is Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness. Life-Changing Wellness. Here's Dr. Ward Bond. I'm Dr. Ward Bond, and I welcome you to Life-Changing Wellness, episode number 124. We talk depression with Al Levin today, and this week's episode is brought to you by Bayleaf Sports Activewear. Bayleaf Sports gives you today's new technology with such as such as compression, improved airflow, and lightweight materials in all of its great products. High quality at affordable prices, and remember to use the code Dr. Bond and receive 15% off anytime you order from Bayleaf Sports. So go to bayleaf.com. That's B-A-L-E-A-F.com. Now, before we begin, please head over to iTunes after the interview with my guest today. Rate and review the show for me. And I thank you ahead of time for making our show great. And I encourage you to look up my show page on radiomd.com slash Dr. Bond. Well, our guest this week is Al Levin. And Al is a person who has recovered from two major bouts of depressive disorder, one of which was quite debilitating for nearly six months of his life. And through this experience, he has become very passionate about learning more about mental health and supporting others with mental illness, particularly men with depression. And in addition to a blog, Al has a very popular podcast in which he interviews men who have struggled with depression and or other mental illnesses. Both his blog and podcast can be found at thedepressionfiles.com, and Al also speaks publicly for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and Al was recently appointed by the governor to the Minnesota State Advisory Council on Mental Health, and Al has been published in The Mighty, The Huffington Post, Psych Central, The Recovery Letters, and Made for More, and was featured in Esperanza Magazine. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Al Levin to the show. Welcome, Al. Hey, thank you so much for having me on the show, Dr. Bond. And before we even start, I want to also thank you. I know that uh, I do a fair amount of social uh, networking on uh Twitter, and you have been uh, a huge help to spreading my word and retweeting my tweets. So I really appreciate your support in that regard, too. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Very, very welcome. And, uh, you know, it, you know it's, it's great because, you know, you and, I, you and I have met on Twitter, and it's just a uh, great, um, it's just, it, it can be a very great community in reaching more people and helping them out. Yep, Absolutely. So let me ask you this, because, you know, with your with your show, especially your podcast, because you reach so many people, why did you start advocating around the subject of mental health? So I had my own bout of depression. Two times I've had gone through bouts of major depression. The first one was in 2010. And it was quite significant. And it was, it was really, it made sense to me. I was in a new position. I had a promotion. I had a lot of responsibility. I was a principal in a school I had never worked at. And at the same time, I had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and two newborns at home. So the stress was just overwhelming. And I reached out to my brother, who's a family doctor. He convinced me to talk to my doctor. And I won't get into all the details because it's lengthy, but um, I think I got through that one within a couple months or so. The odd thing was in 2013, three years almost to the day, 
I came down with another bout of major depression and things were going really well. I had stepped down voluntarily to be an assistant principal. It was my second year back as an assistant principal. I had a new boss who I got along really well with um, and I had a great first review and my kids were a little older and all of a sudden uh, I just knew it. I said to my best friend and my brother, like my body feels strange and this is not gonna be good. And I went into a really um, debilitating depression and eventually became suicidal and uh, took time off of work. And uh, once I recovered, I decided that I felt like it was important for people to share their story and to actually engage in conversations around mental illness and to help normalize the conversations. And I went, you know, before I had the illness, I had a lot of misconceptions, a lot of awful stereotypes in my mind. So it was a humbling experience. I wanted to share it, particularly as, as somebody in a leadership role. And so I started blogging and then uh, came up with the idea after going to a mental health conference to create a podcast. And uh, it's been an incredible learning experience for me, an incredible journey, and, and I really, really love it. Well, let me ask you this about the, um, the depressive episode. I mean, was there any answer for it? So that's a great question. Well, you know, the first time I ended up taking 10 days off of work uh, and I call them unstructured days. I didn't have a plan for them, but I had met with my boss early one morning at a coffee shop and just said, Hey, I'm, I'm going through depression. And he was great. He was supportive. I took time off and I, what I was doing at that time was trying to get my meds adjusted and it just wasn't working. And I knew I was becoming uh, passively suicidal, just ideas of it'd be great to not be around and so forth. And I talked to my psychiatric PA and said, you know, could that be the depression or could it be as paradoxical as it is? Many antidepressants have a black box label saying that they could create suicidal thoughts. So I asked if it could be the meds and he said, yes, it could be either. He ended up upping my meds and my suicidal thoughts became very pervasive. I had a plan. And once I woke up dreaming of that plan and I couldn't get it out of my mind, no matter what, it really frightened me to the point of inviting my sister and my wife to an emergency psychiatric appointment. And that is when uh, my sister really fought for me to get work off and to check myself into a partial hospitalization program. That, for me, being in such a, a difficult place with depression was really the kickstart to recovery. But, you know, there is no magic pill. I think everybody's got different tools in their tool belt. And I think it's important to utilize as many as possible. Some people find out that journaling really works for them. Some people find out meds are a great help for them. But I really advocate that if you take a med, don't, don't assume that that's going to solve all your problems. You may want to build in exercising. You might want to join a support group. Th talk therapy is an amazing help for many. Um, so really, you know, the, for me to get structure, to pull myself out of my daily stressors and daily life and to jump into a partial hospitalization was really the kickstart that helped me work, uh, towards recovery. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize that even their medications can lead to a depressive state. And I believe that anytime someone picks up 
a medication, they need to read the labels. They need to read the, the printout that the pharmacist usually gives. Find out if the side effects do include depression or a mild case of the blues. Or in some cases, you know, there are even antidepressants that have the, a horrible problem of creating suicidal thoughts which is just a a horrible side effect to have for an antidepressant, but it's out there. And I know that a lot of the um, sleeping pills on Xanax, Ambien, a lot of those can create that mental state. And, uh, and I like the fact that you brought up that, you know, medications, not the magic pill. People need to be uh, focusing on other areas of their life as well. Like you said, journaling has been working very well for many people. Exercise is excellent because that works with brain neurotransmitters, overall health, nutrition, maybe, you know, you're depressed and you don't realize that your diet's full of sugar and, you know, the list goes on. And, you know, for you personally, um, what happened after, especially that one severe bout? So, so what happened at the end of the six months? Well, so six months is essentially what it took for the entire, what the six months, I would say, I'm sorry, six months, I would say I was in a situation where I was pretty well compromised as far as my cognition, my mood, my memory, my focus um, were heavily impacted for that entire six months. But I would say after the recovery, after I went to the partial hospitalization program, I continued my recovery. I went back to work and talked to my boss and told him that I spoke to a psychiatrist and, you know, know that I'm not 100% cured yet because they said after a depression as severe as mine, it, it would likely take a full year to have a full recovery. But I continued on the path of learning and working towards my mental health so and my recovery. So I started the day before I checked myself into the partial hospitalization program, I went to a men's support group for depression and anxiety. And, uh, and that was my thought was to create a support for me when I exited that program. So I jumped right into a support group. I met right away with a psychologist and made sure I kept that up. I started um, exercising. I started learning more about meditation and mindfulness. So I, it was a very gradual recovery, and I think they typically are. It's typically not like one wakes up and they're recovered, but it's a gradual recovery, and it takes work and time and effort. Um, and I always tell people to take small baby steps, depending on how severe your depression is. If you can't, if you struggle to get off of the couch, push yourself hard to get outside and walk around the block once. So that gives you a little bit of exercise that gives you fresh air and make sure that you pat yourself on the back and acknowledge that you're working towards recovery because it's really, it can be so, so challenging. When I took my unstructured days off, I made a list okay, I'm just going to do one load of laundry or wash one bathroom, clean a bathroom. And I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get off the couch or or out of the bed. Um, And uh, so it's important to take baby steps, take small steps, acknowledge them. And I did journal all the way through my second major bout of depression. And I ended each night with a bullet point saying, today, in order to work towards recovery, I... And I put as many bullet points as I could. And sometimes it was one bullet point that said, I read a book to my kid or I 
made it to the partial hospitalization program. But I was acknowledging that I was taking small steps. I was working towards it because it oftentimes feels like you're getting nowhere. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I'm hearing is that anyone, you know, dealing with depression or in a depressive state, the road to recovery means that that person has to participate in their recovery. And that goes beyond taking an antidepressant every morning. They have to do something. And I think, you know, you really hit the the nail on the head here. You have to be a participant in your own recovery. You have to do something, even if it's a small step, doing one thing can lead to another step and another step. And eventually, you know, people start to understand that they can, they can, they can come out of this and that it's not, you know, it, you know, because, you know, depression can be caused by, you know, a million different things, you know, life experiences, uh, rejection. It could be a chemical imbalance. It could be nutrition. It could, you know, the list goes on. But I think um, by being a willing, willing participant in the recovery, I believe that every person can find out what maybe has triggered that depression. And but for you, why do you focus on men? So I think uh, particularly, you know, I was in a men's support group and I think uh, there are several reasons. One, I think men are less likely to reach out for help. I think men are less likely to talk about emotions. I think they're less likely um, to admit that they're struggling. And I think it's really, it, and not to mention more men die by suicide than, than women. Uh, more women attempt suicide, more men die by suicide. And so I thought it was really important to be a male role model and to focus on the men. And I think the more men hear stories of other men's challenges, they can relate to them, they can understand them, and they can see these men recovered, these men worked at their recovery. And uh, to your point earlier about taking action, I, I think that's so important. I always say that it's not your fault that you've come down with depression at all, but it is your responsibility to work at recovery. And it's so important. Um, and not only taking those little steps, but really recognizing them, really know that you are working at it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Now, for those of for those listening, Al, what are some of the symptoms of depression that people need to be aware about? That's a great question. Um, so oftentimes it's change of mood. It's um, change in sleep, change in eating. Some people end up eating a lot. Some can't eat at all. I lost about 50 pounds through my depression. Um, one big one for men that people don't realize is a symptom of depression is anger. So, you know, whole um, anger kind of coming out sideways and change in your demeanor and such. Um, uh, kind of a melancholy overall, um, you know, not able to, to show emotion and, and expression. Uh, less interest in their own personal hobbies that they used to have. Um, I loved digital photography. I have like a year of a gap of no photos of my four kids. Wow. Um, so I would say those are some of the, the highlights. And um, it's interesting because another thing, I love a phrase that I did not come up with, but it's the catch-22 of depression. 
And the fact is that everything you need to do in order to work at recovery is compromised by the very symptoms of depression. So you should be eating healthily, but people don't aren't able to eat or they eat too much. You should be exercising, but most people are zapped of their energy completely from the depression. Um, you should be socializing. Most people tend to isolate, which is not healthy. You know, I always tell people, reach out to people, um, try to go out. I know we're, so, we're physically distancing these days. That doesn't mean you can't go out for a cup of coffee and keep your distance with somebody. Go out for a walk, go out for a bike ride. Um, and things like that. I like that. And especially with men, and I think uh, with men over the age of 50, from a medical standpoint, they should definitely go talk to their doctor about having a hormonal panel done, as well as a thyroid panel done, because if those levels are out of balance, it can actually trigger depression. And it kind of popped into my head because when you said anger, you know, a lot of men that have low testosterone levels can start showing frustration and anger and even depression just because of their hormones are not where they need to be. And once those are corrected, usually uh, things turn around. Now, what are... Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh -huh. good doctors, you know, when they're dealing with a patient who may have depression, check those pieces right off the bat. I know they checked my thyroid right away to make... So they try to eliminate any kind of physical ailment that could be creating the depression. They check on the meds, like you mentioned, or the combination of meds that may be creating some change in in uh, personality and such yeah and i think uh, well you know you bring up an, an excellent point there should just be a simple checklist to go through you know if it's men or even women you know go to the doctor have the thyroid checked have the adrenals checked have your hormone panel done find out you know what does your diet look like is your diet creating an environment of poor health too much sugar too many bad fats which uh, damage the brain is your gut health poor you know brain neurotransmitters are actually made in the gut and then travel back to the brain via the vagus nerve and if you have poor gut health you can have poor mental health and at the same time poor gut health also leads to the fact that antidepressants will not work correctly believe it or not but let me ask you this what are some of the strategies for dealing with a depression or another mental illness. And I know that you have interviewed many men on your podcast. What other type of mental illness have you discussed on your show? So that's a great question. Thank you for asking. And this is where I've been able to do such learning. When I first developed the show, I thought it was going to be just men with depression. And I quickly realized that right off the bat, many of my guests were dealing with much more than depression, and I loved it. And uh, so I would imagine, seriously, I think I've dealt with every possible mental illness that exists from dissociative identity disorder, which is used to be called multiple personality disorder, borderline personality, bipolar one, bipolar two, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder. Um, the list goes on and on, OCD, anxiety. Um, so that is where I have learned so much. And the other thing I did is recently I've changed the format of the show a little bit. Since I have over about 75 stories of men on the show, I have now changed the format where some of the episodes I get a guest expert on the show and I just dive deep into a topic. And it's not necessarily 
necessarily about men. So I'm kind of expanding in that realm as well. So for example, I had a suicidologist on just discussing the topic of suicide. I had a therapist on who only works with uh, patients who have bipolar disorder and he wrote a book on bipolar disorder. So it was a deep dive into the topic of bipolar disorder. Um, I recently published one on ketamine, which is an ER doctor who um, left the ER practice and now opened a ketamine practice. Um, And I'm in the process of trying to nail down an interview with a researcher on psychedelics and the treatment of mental illness. If you want, if you need somebody to talk about psychedelics and and you need somebody who is valid in their research and who's actually spent time in the actual jungle with shaman from the very beginning, you need to talk to medical herbalist Chris Killam. I will check that guy is phenomenal. Yeah, I think I, I, what I'll do, what I'll do is I'll send you his email address and you can, uh, hook up with Chris, but he wrote a book on Hayahuasca and, and, and that if, and if you've studied even a little bit of that, they're actually using that to reverse PTSD, but it's done outside the United States because nobody here in the United States knows exactly how to do it correctly. So there are safety factors that have to be in place. Yeah. But, and most of the psychedelic, most, most of the psychedelic research is being done outside of the United States because it is still, most of the drugs they're uh, researching are still illegal in the U S um, but oh, yeah. the, the psilocybin is another example, mushrooms um, and LSD. Oh, I know uh, that's, that's one that they're really, uh, you know, really uh, talking about now are are the mushrooms, and I think a lot of those things we do need more research. Um, you know, those things are never going to be available over the counter because they have to be administered in a very, very particular way in a very controlled way, much like medication is, just for the safety factor. You know, nobody needs to be going out on an LSD trip. So right, right, <laughs> we have to be we have to be careful. Now, let me ask you this, Al, because how can one support a loved one who has or may have a mental illness? That's a great question and one that is very difficult. I hear from people often who are trying to support one with a mental illness. I think the the biggest thing is to continue to let them know how much you love them, to um, support them in any way you can, and also to try to provide them with resources. A lot of times it's really challenging if one doesn't want to admit that they need help or if they're unwilling to get help. And that's where I think it's important to be empathetic with them and, you know, little by little trying to get them to understand the need and the importance of getting support and reaching out for help and maybe providing them with particular numbers and resources or support groups um, so that they don't have to do the research and you can simply hand it to them, but continue for sure to let them know how much you love them and care about them. That is one of the most important things. And there's so many people out there that they need help, but they can't acknowledge that they actually need it. Sometimes they just shrug it off and just try to get through life on their own, not realizing that there is a problem. But, you know, Al, you know this better than everybody else. You know, we can see people that may need help, but for them, they they may not see it or they try to deny it. And it just prolongs 
the agony. It, it prolongs the the potential for the recovery process to begin. And, uh, you know, and I think, like you said, for a loved one or a relative or even a friend, you know, it's going to it's going to take love to help that other person uh, hopefully see the light. And, you know, it you know, even when it comes to those that have dealt with uh, drug addiction, uh, alcohol abuse or become alcoholic, you have to admit you have a problem. But in I guess in the areas of depression or mental illness, you have to realize that there is a problem and not that it's being not that you're being self-destructive, but you need to seek help and guidance to uh, find out what's wrong and hopefully, uh, you know, get on the road to healing. Yeah. And to know that it's treatable, right? It is treatable. And again, that's part of the reason I focus on men. I think men have been told or have the impression that they need to just pull themselves up by their bootstraps or I can just tough this out, but you don't have to do it alone. And I do think the longer you wait, the more your depression can spiral down and it can become a very dangerous situation. I also want to reiterate that Reaching out for help is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. And reaching out for help is very difficult. Um, And it may be the one life-saving measure you take. It is so important. I had the number from my best friend. He gave me the number of a guy who only worked with men with depression. And I had that phone number while I was majorly depressed. It still took me three weeks to reach out to him. And I would text my friend each week and say, I'm going to call him, let him know, give him a heads up as if he needed a heads up that a (laughs) man with depression was calling him. And it took me three weeks to get the courage up to call him. Um, And it's so strange when you're in that depressive state, like I can't imagine myself now while I'm mentally healthy. I can't imagine why I didn't pick up that phone the minute I got that number, but I do know how difficult it is. And I also know how important it is. Yeah, it you know people do not realize the the severity of mental illness. I mean, it's 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 like being, and you would probably be be able to explain this even better. It, to me, it'd be you're you're trapped in a cage with no lock on the door, but you don't know how to get out, and. You know, it takes so much effort just to do something small. I mean, calling someone you don't know, that's kind of a big thing, you know, for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people don't just do that anymore. Um, But like you said, even if it was just trying to walk outside the house and walk around the block and get some fresh air, that can be a major issue for people uh, that are depressed uh, or, you know, even have um, some sort of mental illness that is undiagnosed. But, Al, what is the most important piece of advice that you may give someone who is actually currently struggling right now? I think the most important piece is to reach out and ask for help. Reach out to somebody. Reach out to a loved one. Reach out to a trusted colleague. If you get somebody who's not supportive or won't listen to you, reach out to somebody else. Keep reaching out, you know, reach out to a a doctor, reach out to a clergy member. Um, There is somebody you can reach out to. Call a suicide hotline if you need to. But 
but please reach out. You don't have to suffer alone and it is treatable and you will be happy in the end that you took that difficult step of reaching out. Now on your website, thedepressionfiles.com, do you provide links for people um, that may be dealing with depression or mental illness? Um, do you have links available that people can uh, go to, to to try to find more help? I don't uh, have much on there as far as other resources, although that's a great idea and something that I should add. Um, I have resources within, so many of the guests, for example, on the podcast have written books and so forth. Um, And on my website is my blog, and the blog essentially, I have over 50 posts, and those are essentially most uh, incorporate... um, uh, ideas and tips for dealing with a mental illness. Oh, I, lo- I love that, Al. Um, you know, th- this is a subject that is so big, so vast. Uh, you know, we now know, especially in the last couple of years, uh, the spotlight has been placed on mental illness. Uh, and, and like you said, and, and even I learned something today. I didn't, you know, I, I knew that men have a higher suicide rate, but did not realize that women attempt it but it's mostly the men that seem to succeed at it, which is not a good thing. And we need people like you to turn that around, to change those numbers into something positive. And Al, I want to thank you for coming on to the show today. Oh, again, I just really appreciate you having me on the show, and I've really enjoyed the conversation. I have too, and I've learned a lot. And ladies and gentlemen, hopefully you have learned a lot. And remember, uh, head over to thedepressionfiles.com. Sign up for Al's podcast. Read his blog. There's a lot of information there. And as like Al said, a lot of the podcasts include experts. You'll be able to find materials uh, to lead you in the right direction. There's no reason to be dealing with mental illness or depression alone. There are many people out there who are willing to help And for those of you who are listening that may have a family member or a friend that you know is showing signs of depression or they're going through depression, maybe they're showing signs of mental illness and you're not sure what it is, as Al said, reach out, show them some love, help them, talk to them, lead them into the right direction. Because believe it or not, just by doing that one thing, you could be saving a life. So again, check out Al Levin's website and a podcast, The Depression Files. Sign up for the podcast. Listen to it every week. Al is an amazing guy. And Al, you're doing a fantastic job. So keep it up. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, remember to catch every episode of Life-Changing Wellness. Just hit subscribe on iTunes or on my show page at RadioMD.com slash Dr. Bond. And if I can ask you a favor, please take 30 seconds and rate the show on iTunes. Thank you for doing that for me as we want to bring you the best show possible. Just look up Dr. Bond's Life-Changing Wellness on any streaming service, and you can learn more about me at DrWardBond.com. And again, thank you for listening to Life-Changing Wellness. And remember, something spectacular happens when you treat your body right. Have a blessed day, everyone.